thank you all for worshiping through singing. And now we're gonna spend some time worshiping through the word together. My name is Justin Knowles. I'm the teaching pastor here at Ingleside. And this morning, we're gonna look at the short New Testament book of Jude. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Jude near the very end of the Bible. Uh, in fact, the next to last book right before Revelation, so you can open up there. Also grab your listening outline and a pen so you can write some things in along the way. And as you do that, let me say welcome to those of you in the contemporary service and those of you joining us online and on television, I'm really glad that you're with us as well. Uh, now, if you've been reading a chapter a day with us, then you'll know that this past week we read the book of Jude. And Jude warns us about a particular kind of attack on uh, biblical, true Christianity, or what he calls the faith. Uh, Christianity has always been under attack from the very beginning. And one of the strategies of the enemy is a sort of internal attack, a kind of Trojan horse attack, uh, where people get into a local church or other Christian institutions or organizations, get into positions of influence, and begin to teach things that are contrary to biblical truth. And as a result, they begin to lead people and lead churches and groups away from what's true, and ultimately away from Christ. In fact, in their commentary on the book of Jude, Jim Shaddix and Daniel Aiken observe this. They say, we see this in schools like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Columbia, Brown, and the University of Chicago, all of which were founded to train ministers to propagate the gospel. Today, none of them stands for historic Christian orthodoxy. We also see the demise and death of once great denominations that no longer send gospel missionaries who deny the inerrancy of scripture, reject the exclusive claims of Christ, ordain practicing homosexuals to the ministry, advocate same-sex marriage, and turn a deaf ear to the holocaust of abortion. They conclude this brand of Christianity presents no gospel no substitutionary atonement, no heaven, no hell, no sin, and no savior. How does that happen within groups, institutions? One of the main ways, again, is people who sort of infiltrate and begin to teach things contrary to the gospel, contrary to what's true about Jesus and what he's done for us and how we can be saved and contrary to his teachings, the implications of that for our lives. And Jude cautions us about that. And he also gives us some things that we can do in the face of that. And so let's see what he has to say. Starting in verse 3, Jude says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, that's what he originally wanted to write about, he says, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now again, when he talks about the faith here, he's talking about the content of the Christian faith. Biblical teaching, biblical Christianity. And he says this faith was delivered once for all to the saints. That means that we don't have the liberty to make it up or to change it or to tweak it. It was delivered once for all. 
It doesn't need to be updated or modernized in any way because it's true as it is. He says, this faith was delivered once for all. But he does say that we need to contend for the faith. Like that's the reason he's writing this letter, is to appeal to us to contend for the faith. Would you write this in, that every generation must contend for the true faith? That word contend means that we agonize, we fight, or we struggle with intensity. I mean, to maintain and defend this truth, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to require efforts. It's going to require intentionality. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. And here's part of that battle. Verse 4. He says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So here's where he says some people have crept into the church. And we're starting to teach things that were untrue. Here's how he describes these false teachers. Would you write it in? He tells us that they live ungodly lives. Their beliefs, their teaching, their lives were not oriented around God. It was all quite apart from him. He says they are ungodly. He also says, write this in, that they distort grace and promote sensuality. We still see this a lot in our day. Uh, people who take the biblical notion of God's grace, his goodness, his love to us. And that's certainly true. God is very gracious. Sometimes people take that concept of God's grace and they distort it, they twist it, and then use it as a license for sin. In this case, as we read throughout Jew, that seems to be particularly connected to sexual immorality. These are people who would sort of say, look, God loves you just like you are. You are fine. God loves everybody. That's the end of the story. You just do whatever you want. You live however you want. None of it really matters because God's good and God's gracious and God loves everybody and that's it. And they end up affirming people in their sin, promoting sensuality. And again, it's certainly true that God is gracious, but friends, it's also true that God gives you grace not so that you can sin more, but so that you can sin less. He gives us grace so that we can be free from sin. And as you experience his grace and, and more fully, more truly recognize the riches of that grace, that actually becomes a very powerful motivation to greater obedience. It becomes a motivation to holiness. So we need to be very aware of any teaching that would use divine grace as a license to promote sinning, disobeying the Lord. Well, that's what was going on here. There are ungodly people distorting grace, promoting sensuality, and write it in, they deny the authority of Jesus. These are people who would say, look, I'm in charge of my life. I'll decide what's right and wrong for me. You can decide what's right and wrong for you. I'll kind of decide my truth. You decide your truth. But really, I'm in charge. You're in charge. 
Now, there might be points for people like this. This could be true of us, by the way. A good warning, a good check for our own hearts. It's possible to actually agree with some of Jesus' teaching, to agree on certain points, but for you to still be the one who's the authority. Where you disagree with Jesus, you kind of go with you. That's what they were doing. They did not consider Jesus' teaching as a whole to be authoritative for their lives. They rejected his authority. We don't have to listen to him. We don't have to obey him. There are some points he's just wrong. There are some points he's outdated. There are some points he didn't know what he was talking about. Whatever the reason, they deny his actual authority. It keeps going. We're actually going to skip over a few verses. Let me just summarize those. The next few verses, uh, Jude just makes it clear to us that God's judgment is coming for these false teachers. They won't get away with it. God notices. He sees it. And he'll judge the false teachers. Then in verse 8, it says, yet, even with that being the case, yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, notice they don't rely on Scripture, they're not relying on what God has revealed, no, they're relying on their dreams, they defile the flesh, likely another reference to sexual immorality, they once again reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Let me just pause right there for a second. Uh, I think that's a verse that raises some questions, does it not? Uh, what in the world is he talking about? Well, the short answer is we don't know exactly. I think the reason it raises questions is because what he's referring to isn't recorded anywhere else in Scripture. And so there's some things we don't know. And I think it's a good principle for us when that happens. It's good that we not focus on what we don't know, but instead focus on what we do know. We don't get too hung up on what God doesn't tell us, but we focus instead on what he does tell us. And so what's he saying in that verse? Well, basically he's telling us that Michael, even as an archangel, acknowledged the authority of the Lord in spiritual matters in a way that these false teachers did not. That's the gist of it. It's sort of another example of how they are not living under his authority. Then verse 10 goes on to say, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And then listen to this. It says, they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So would you write this in? Here's what he's telling us in these verses about these false teachers. He's telling us first, once again, they reject the authority of God's word they're rejecting God's standards, what he says. And instead, write it in, they rely on their own subjective experience. Specifically here, he mentions their dreams. So their own experience. They're not testing those dreams against scripture. They're not making sure what they're saying lines up with that. They're saying, I had a dream, let's go with that. Their own subjective experiences. And, write this in, they're driven by their natural impulses. That's what he means when he says they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. 
talking about just their natural impulses or instincts, saying they're actually destroying them, their sinful and destructive desires that they have. But that's what they're driven by. It's a good reminder that no matter how much a false teacher might claim that their teaching is sort of advanced or evolved, often the truth is it's their thinking is really on the same level as an animal. Just driven by natural urges and instincts, even sinful desires. It's what's motivating them. So you kind of get in the picture of these false teachers and what they were saying and how they were leading people. And look, up until this point, isn't it really what all he said? Isn't that it's kind of characteristic of our culture in general? I mean, a denial of the authority of Jesus, a rejection of God's word and his standards, relying on subjective experiences and natural urges and desires in a way that leads to and promotes increasing sexual immorality. I mean, that's just kind of our culture that we live in, isn't it? Of course, it's not unique to us. It was going on in Jude's day as well. And that can be a challenging kind of culture to live in. It can be concerning for us. It's just we're bombarded by uh, these kinds of messages and this way of life is just in our face all the time. It's tough. And and look, I think there's sort of an additional level of concern for, for those of us who are parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles have children in our lives that we love and we're aware that they're growing up in a world like this. We know what they're hearing and what they're exposed to. It can be really concerning. And I think it can be really um, tempting at times, very easy for us to sort of acknowledge that and lament that and then just stop there. Uh, Here's what I mean. Have you ever been part of a conversation where you spend lots of time just sort of swapping the latest headlines and personal anecdotes that all just confirm how bad everything is in the world? You're like, I can one-up that one. Did you hear about this? Well, I read this. Oh, it's bad. And then the conversation ends and everybody walks away just a little bit more defeated and discouraged than when you started, and that's kind of the end. And you get together a few days later and you give the new headlines. Go, Man, it's even worse. That's not the approach that Jude takes. I really appreciate this, what the Holy Spirit just says to us in this book. Yes, he acknowledges the situation. He clarifies it. He gives us a sort of the lay of the land and helps us see very clearly what's going on. And he cautions us against that. This is a very clear warning for us. And that's really helpful. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, look, Christianity's under attack. What you gonna do? He actually gives us some things that we can do. Uh, And of course, as a church family, there are some things that we can do. We have some safeguards and some standards in place to ensure that sound doctrine is taught in every teaching venue in our church family. And I'm really thankful for that. What about for you as an individual? What can you do in a spiritual battle like this where you're told to contend for the faith and it's a daily struggle? Well, let's take a look. Because maybe we should also acknowledge there are a lot of things you can't do, right? And that's where I think some of the discouragement comes into play. 
where you start thinking, man, I can't control what's going on out there. I can't control cultural trends. I, I can't control what's going on in that other church. I can't control what that school is teaching. I, I can't control what that media company decides to put in their programming. And that's where you can easily just sort of get discouraged and sort of give up. But Jude says, here's some things you can do. Let's focus on this. Verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To show, uh, to show mercy to others, show mercy with fear. I mean, there's sort of a, a healthy fear of their sin. Make sure they're not leading you into their sin, but show mercy nonetheless. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. She says, here's some things you can do. Here's how you should respond as the faith that you hold is under attack. And at the core of his direction for us is the command to keep yourself in the love of God. Now that does not mean that you can do more things that make God keep loving you. Of course not. What it does mean is that you can remain in the sphere of God's blessing where you experience and enjoy his love in the way that he intends. That's contrasted with those false teachers whom he's already said by this point are headed for judgment. So he's saying, don't follow them. Their teaching, their way of life leads to judgment. So be sure you're not following that. Don't follow their example. Don't believe their teaching. Don't buy it. There's a real warning saying, don't do that. Instead, you remain in God's love. How do you do that? Well, write it in. The first thing is that we can grow in the faith. He says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Practically, that means you study God's word and you learn how to apply it. You just continually ensure that your beliefs, your thoughts, your way of life all line up with God's word. And where something doesn't line up, you repent. By God's grace, you conform to his word. You continue then to grow in the faith. You grow in your doctrine. You grow in your understanding of the Lord and who he is and what he's done and what he says for us. Make sure you're grounded in scripture. And let me just say also to parents, because I think this is such a big deal for parents right now, raising kids in a world like what we're describing. This is what your kids need as well. They need a biblical worldview. They need biblical truth. They need biblical answers. So as you're thinking, well, what do we do? How do we respond to all this? Well, make sure that God's word is central in your home. Get the Bible out, open it up. Have regular family devotions. As you talk to your kids, make sure that scripture is saturating those conversations. When they have answers or questions, get the Bible out, show them biblical answers. Uh, you know, it warmed my heart so much just the other day, Cassie and I were talking to one of our kids about something they had heard and she had questions about. 
And so we were talking about it, and as we were having some conversation, I mentioned a verse in the Bible, and as I was starting to explain it, my daughter just ran out the room. Uh, you ever have those conversations, parents? Like, I thought we were in the middle of something right here, and you just disappear. I thought what I was saying was pretty profound. She just ran away. Fortunately, she came right back very quickly holding her Bible and came back into the kitchen and put it on the island where we were. Said, all right, Dad, where's that verse? And we opened up the Bible to that verse and we read it actually out of the Bible. Had some conversation about what it said and how it applied to the question that she had. It's kind of what Jude's getting at. Saying, what can we do as our faith is under attack? Well, we can get out our Bibles. We can grow in the faith. Within our circle of influence, we can share biblical truth with other people. And look, you might say, look, Justin, I'm not sure I would know how to do that in my family. I don't know how to find answers in the Bible. Well, let me say, I hope you have a good friend that you could call and ask. I know for sure you've got some pastors here at Ingleside that would love to help you with that. We love to partner with parents. As together, we, we do what we can to help your children be rooted and built up in Christ and abide in his truth. So if you need some help, let us know. And that can become part of your family culture as well. So there's one thing we do. We grow in the faith. Secondly, write this in. He says to pray in the spirit. To pray in the spirit means in part that we pray in line with God's will. But it also means that in those times when you don't know what to pray, you ever have those? I'm not even sure what to ask for here. I'm burdened by it. It's on my heart. I'm not sure what to say. The Bible says the Holy Spirit actually intercedes for you. What grace. The Lord gives you his spirit who assists you in your prayers. So we can confidently pray in the spirit. And there are lots of things you can be praying about. Be praying for yourself. Be praying for your family, friends, coworkers. Pray for your church family, your pastors. Pray for our political leaders. I just suspect a lot of us would do well to spend a little less time lamenting and a little more time praying. That's one of the things we can do in this situation. So pray in the spirit. Then we're also told, write it in, to wait for the Savior. It means you maintain an eternal perspective. You keep in mind that Jesus is coming back, which means this battle we're engaged in isn't going to last forever. So don't give up. Don't give in. Don't get discouraged. Stay focused on the fact that Jesus is coming back and he will show mercy to his people. This is a real encouragement to hang in there. Keep putting in the work, put in the effort, keep engaging in the battle, engage in the struggle. No, it's not going to last forever. And then we're told, write this in, to have mercy on others. Within your circle of influence, share the gospel with people. Share biblical truth with them. Point them to the faith once for all delivered. They're going to hear the opposite from other people. One thing we can do is to be a voice of truth in our culture. And not everyone will respond positively to it, of course, but some might. In fact, likely some will. It's possible then that some will be saved through your witness. So have mercy on others by sharing truth with them. Again, I love that Jude gives us some things to do. I think there's such clarity in that. I think it's really helpful. 
But I also love that that's not where Jude ends. Because the truth is, if it was just up to us in our own power and our own strength to persevere and uh, tough it out and hang in there, we wouldn't do it. We just don't have it in us on our own to stay engaged in this battle in the way that we're called to. So look at how Jude ends, writing to people engaged in this sort of battle that we're talking about. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. This past summer, I took three of my kids whitewater rafting. My fourth wasn't quite old enough to go, so I took the ones that are old enough. We went over to uh, Columbus and rafted over there. In fact, I've got a picture I'll show you. This isn't actually my family. I didn't buy, you know, when you go rafting, they give you the chance to buy a picture. It's like $400 or something at the end of it. And so uh, I didn't do that. I found a free one online, but that's the actual river we were on. So that's what a lot of it looks like. There was some good white water. A little bit of it was, was actually even a little bigger than that, but uh, that's a pretty good picture of what we were on and going through the rapids. And man, we had a great time. Uh, but before we went, I really had to give some thought to whether or not I was going to take the youngest of those three. Um, she met the age requirement and met the weight requirement, but she's still a tiny little thing. And I thought, man, do I really want to get her on a river like that? I know how easy it can be to fall out and to start swimming a little bit on a river like that. And man, is that really what I want to do? But I decided, yes, I decided I'm going to take her. But I also decided that before we went, I was going to have some conversation with her. And so more than one occasion, we sat down and I told her how to sit in a raft and how to get as secure as possible. I told her that when we would go over rapids, I wanted her to lean in just a little bit so that if she did fall, she'd fall into the raft and not out. I made sure she knew what to do. And even then I decided I was gonna sit right beside her on that raft so I could keep my eyes on her if I needed to correct something, give her some direction, I'd be right there to do it. If I needed to grab her, I could do that too. And I was gonna be right there with her. Fortunately, she did what all I told her to do and that was very helpful. And just in case though, I did stay right there, kept my eyes on her the whole time. Everything went great, had a great trip down that river. But let me ask you, do you think I was willing to take her down that river because of her ability to keep herself in that boat? I was willing to take her in that river because I was confident in my ability as her father to keep her in that boat, to keep her safe. Friends, you're just living your life as a follower of Jesus and the faith that you hold to is under attack. Let's be honest, there's some days that is a challenge. There are some days that will wear you out. There are a lot of difficult things to navigate. It can be tough. The Bible says, if you're in Christ, you have a heavenly father who loves you, who has called you, who has given you his word, who has given you access to himself in prayer, who's given you his Holy Spirit, who's given you 
his promise that he'll come back for you? And the Bible says he is able. And hear the grace in that. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to see you all the way home. And because of his grace, because of the confidence we have in him, man, we say to him, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much that you are able, that you are able to keep us, to keep us from stumbling. Father, we acknowledge our own weakness and our need for you. And so we're thankful for your sovereignty and your grace in our lives, the security, the confidence, the hope that we have in you. And based on that, Father, I pray that you would protect our church family. Would you protect us corporately? Would you protect us as individuals and as families? See us all the way home and use us for your glory along the way. And we pray that in the name of Jesus, amen.